The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. I'll be reading uh, James, verses, um, James 1, verses 18 through 27. And I apologize if you have the app, it'll be a different version that's, uh, that I'm reading from, but it'll be on the screen, I believe. <clears throat> he became our father by the word of truth. That was his firm decision. And the result is that we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, my dear brothers and sisters, get this straight. Every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Human anger, you see, doesn't produce God's justice. So put away everything that is sordid and all that overflowing malice and humbly receive the word which has been planted within you and which has the power to rescue your lives. But be people who do the word, not merely people who hear it and deceive themselves. Someone who hears the word but doesn't do it, you see, is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. He notices himself, but then he goes away and quickly forgets what he looked like. But the person who looks into the perfect law of freedom and goes on with it, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who does the deed, such a person is blessed in their doing. If anyone supposes that they are devout, And does not control their tongue, but rather deceives their heart. Such a person's devotion is futile. As far as God the Father is concerned, pure, unsullied devotion works like this. You should visit orphans and widows in their sorrow and prevent the world leaving its dirty smudge on you. I told the first service I was wired up on coffee and now it's come to a crashing end. That's okay. That's okay. The Spirit will do fill in for the coffee. Um, I entitled this message On the Other Side of Grace. I believe that we must as Christians all come through this door of grace. We all fall first at the fount of grace. Our hearts need to be broken by our unworthiness. We all need to see the true state of our soul until there we sit in a garment that we didn't deserve. I know I have come to that place personally, that place where I truly first grasped what mercy was, when I realized what it meant that he had come for those who had sought him not. I remember the feeling when I first read a Charles Spurgeon sermon and truly started to grasp from it the pursuit that God had made of me, a wandering, lost sinner with no direction and extremely confused heart and not knowing who to call out to even if I wanted to. No matter where my heart drifts to at times, I am forever scarred by those moments when I first grasped grace, when I shed my first tears when singing and really hearing in my heart those lines, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice, call out among the scoffers. Maybe all of you have a song where you remember that that first time where you heard the words in tears when you actually grasped what you were singing. And the truth of that grace is enough to fuel an age of songs. And indeed it has and forever will. But I want to say there is a call to us from the other side of grace that we must hear. Don't get me wrong, grace is the fount to which I will always return. 
And once one is grasped grace, once we have truly sealed that truth within, we rightly hold on to it tightly with everything that we have. When we first reflect upon the status that we have now in the Messiah, we know without a doubt that it was by grace and grace alone that we are where we are. Which is why I believe the language in the book of James tends to make us uneasy. And we might miss the call within the book because of that uneasiness. It has language that sounds like it's trying to make us perform. Too much talk of doing and behavior change and warnings regarding our action or inaction. Talk of works. Language of being judged by law. And rightly, we might shun this language and cling to the beauty we have found in unmerited grace, like a young child clinging to a parent's leg who needs to be left with a sitter. Yet the moment I read the text for this sermon, I knew I'd been given the right text. For it had the same sound I have felt calling my heart as of late. And by a sound, I mean that uneasy feeling that you get when you read a certain passage or you, or you feel, and you feel your soul start to get a little uneasy about it as, you some, as somehow you realize it's going to cost you more than just intellectual assent if you pursue it. Somehow you know that there's something there that you need to grasp and you hear it almost call to you out from within the words. So what I want to do today is draw the same call that I've been hearing out of our text. It's a call that I believe is on the other side of grace. Before I move on, let me just quickly give one housekeeping rule. Um, clarification, sorry. I'm saying call, so if you're American, that's call. Like a call to, just in, just in case we get halfway through the sermon, you're like, what is he, call, what, did he say Paul or call? Anyway, so hopefully the word's up there somewhere, call, C-A-L-L. -L. All right, moving on. It's a call to take in, it's a call to become, and it's a call to act. So start with the first. I heard a call to take in. The passage says, So my dear brothers and sisters, get this straight. Every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Human anger, you see, doesn't produce God's justice. So put away everything that is sordid and all that overflowing malice and humbly receive the word which has been planted within you and which has the power to rescue your lives. The most important word you'll notice in this section is the word so, stuck right in the middle there before put away. He says how one should act, which is by its statement regarding human anger not producing God's justice. It is even evident that it's contrary to our natural tendencies. In fact, to be honest with you, as soon as I read this passage, I was like, I wanted to see if I could switch passages because I am uh, slow to hear, quick to speak, and I'm pretty much angry when I wake up. So... <laughs> From the get-go, I was like, well, this is obviously not for me. Um, and, but then James gives instructions on how to act. I mean, you notice these, these, these are contrary to nature, but then James gives instructions on how to act, a contra act contrary to our natural tendencies. So, and he gives us instructions of how to do it. He says, so, here's your natural tendency, so put away what is sordid and malice and receive the word which has been planted within you, which has the power to rescue he says, put away, or as Paul, Paul's words elsewhere say, he says, put off or put to death. Yet then notice we are told after we put off that we have to receive the word, which I, I, which I is assumed that we receive by grace, 
um, receive which has already been planted within us. It appears, to use a stronger word, that we have to take it in. So it appears from the text that just having truth there within is not enough to what we are being called to. We are called to take it in, to willingly receive and embrace the truth that was put in us. Why? Because truth is something foreign to us. We, are innately, we innately try to reject it. It is something outside of us that we can read or hear, but there is a taking in that must happen. There is a receiving it into the core of our being that must take place. And it's so important to remind ourselves of this daily. Truth is something that is foreign to us. It is an opposing truth to the truth that we already held, a way in contrast to our own nature and thinking. It is something received. It is the Spirit that works it in and through us past the barriers of ourself. The Scripture presents truth not as something you happened upon, something you randomly stumbled across simply because of your cultural context. It was something, the Scripture presents truth as something that was kept from you, that you were blind to, and that your nature was opposed to. What we, have what we have already received and taken in should truly keep us continually in awe and keep us diligent to protect what we have within. Paul writes in so many, so many of his letters how in awe he was that the Gentiles who fore into Israel's history and story suddenly believed the message of their crucified and risen Messiah. It was Paul's understanding that in Jesus' death, the grip of deception that the enemy had over the nations was at some point in his death lifted. This is the reason the Jewish believers took, on, took the gospel out to the nations because they believed that that veil had been lifted, that the hold of the enemy had been loosened. Therefore, they must go out and preach the gospel. Despite the, the illogicalness of it, they would believe. And this is why the New Testament writers are reacting to it. It is, our is it to our detriment that we have grown in the West too familiar with the gospel and have forgotten how odd it is that we believe this foreign story. We act at times if, as if it started with us in our Western concept, as something founded right here in the Bible Belt. And the lie often thrown at us from the Western culture is that you've only believed this because you grew up in that culture. You grew up in church. It's because your parents believed it. It's because you're in Texas. Thank God. <laughs> Undermining the fact that this is actually a 2,000-year-old international phenomenon. In every nation of the world, people believe something that started in Jerusalem in a small place about a guy who was crucified. It makes no sense that you believe it. It makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense that we believe something of a culture that was so small and so minute compared to the rest of the world. This didn't happen in Rome. This didn't happen in the Great Desert. This has happened in a small place in Jerusalem and a people that had known for being enslaved. Yet, here we are, 2,000 years afterwards, across every nation, Afghanistan, China, Australia, Africa, all of us has, has believers in this same story. It is dangerous for us to be too casual and familiar with that which we could not have received without the conquering of the deceiver. But it allows us to drift from the core of what sent you down this road. You believed the gospel. Anyway, back to my text. I got off on a tangent there. So looking at our passage again, 
we see that it gives us a command of action. It says, to receive. And then it uses a verb to describe the word as if, um, as if it is received. It says, which has the power to rescue your lives. But it does not present it in the terms of inevitability. It's predicated on receiving because there is an internal war around taking in truth. Meaning the taking in, the receiving of the word is not something that happens automatically. Let's get real here. The scripture clearly creates a picture of an intentional and passionately engaging father who is zealous for us. That is the truth. That is the fountain of the message from which all else flows, the heart of the Father. It is, an, it is essential to the framework to understand the entire gospel context. It is a truth which has been planted within you, which has the power to rescue your lives. But the fact is, if our biological Father was unintentional, unengaged, absent, and not for us, we are likely to unconsciously reject the notion of what we merely heard from the Scripture and ascribe to God instead the understanding of a Father that we have by default. Truth on paper, truth heard, truth memorized even, and truth taken in are at times very different. It is not simply out with the old and in with the new one-day conversion. There is both truth and untruth present within us and are at war for this vessel that they both sit in. There is no magic wand conversion. There is rather a war to be had in both the mind and the heart. And the battle will be harder for some than others in different areas. Grace entered a bloody field of mess, and restoration in the middle of war is not going to be a pretty sight. And we must recognize that lest we build within the walls of this church a cover for darkness to breed because of the unsightliness of the reality. It's going to be ugly. There's going to be sin. There's going to be pain and untruth to root out. There's going to be demons to cast out. It's never as simple as conversion. This gathering of people must always be one of continuing redemption, the soul being continually healed, the word, the truth being continually taken in, and with that, untruth always being extracted. For this work is what is on the other side of grace. And that leads me to my second point, a call to become. Our text says this, but be people who do the word, not merely people who hear it and deceive themselves. Someone who hears the word but doesn't do it, you see, is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. He notices himself, but then he goes away and quickly forgets what he looked like. But the person who looks into the perfect law of freedom and goes on with it, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who does the deed, such a person is blessed in their doing. I think the scariest line in this part of the passage is the reality that the regular hearers of the word, readers of the word, us who listen to podcasts while driving, us who hear sermons week after week, who read devotionals, who have spiritual discussions over coffee, can deceive themselves. Deceive themselves of what? Deceived in their belief? Their progress as believers? I think my first instinct, to be honest, when I read this passage in the past, is, the negative, is in the negative. Giving it a hypocritical framework. That's what I put it in. 
in the don't hear a message on generosity and then be stingy on your next opportunity kind of formula. And I certainly think that it is saying things like that. And it, to be honest with you, it, it gets right down and, and dirty in the rest of James into the, into the hidden unmentionable sins like favoritism, like judging by economic class, the real stuff that you don't hear sermons on. However, in that framework, that hypocritical framework, we read this, te- this next line about someone looking in the mirror and then forgetting what they look like only in the negative sense. You heard a message, you read a passage about not being stingy, and now you are here being stingy, bad hypocritical Christian. And in that negative framework, it arouses in us a sense of judgment of others and even more importantly, of ourselves. And don't get me wrong, a healthy fear of being a hypocrite is helpful and right. And it will certainly send us to the throne of grace. However, I believe that that framework alone makes us miss the part of the text that is calling to us from the other side of grace. Listen to it again. Someone who hears the word but doesn't do it, you see, is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. He notices himself, but then he goes away and forgets what he looked like. I read this this time, and I didn't read this through the hypocritical framework that I used to hear it through. I heard something else. I heard a call from the other side of grace. I have realized now, at close to 15 years of being a Christian, that I have unconsciously come to a place of familiarity with the Scripture. In the busyness of life, it has slowly drifted to be more of an aloof intellectual task. And walking past my Bible and my dresser on my way to work, it has become just part of the routine of life. But I have honestly realized that I have come to a place where I had forgotten its power finding that I had slowly drifted unconsciously away from the belief of the power of the Word to change and transform me into something different than I am right now. I spent too much time internally questioning how could I at times feel this way or how could I act this certain way if I was indeed a believer in its words. Questioning then my belief. Why am I not a doer if I'm a hearer? Maybe I don't really believe. That sounds odd after 15 years and a lot of books, but that still runs through my mind. But even though I had read all the right books to know that this is not for this not to be true, I'd listened to all the right teachers, I still fell into the deception of believing the myth of the magic wand conversion. Not on paper, but in my heart. If I have this spirit, then I should automatically think differently. I should automatically be a nicer person. I should automatically be a purer person. And in the doubt and in shame of that, I had simply grown used to my unbiblical ways and had in hopelessness given them a permanent status. My temper, my uncaring attitude, my covetousness, they all remained even while every week hearing the word. But in that sorrowful reflection of that shame is where I am hearing today, today, the call from the other side of grace. And what is on the other side of the grace? On the other side of grace is the call to become. This call was not one with a tone of accusation of hypocrisy, but rather one that led me to read that text about walking away from a mirror and forgetting what I look like to be one of a father calling a son to walk in the identity that he had been given. 
The scripture is full of statements, of powerful statements of truth regarding who we are now, what has taken place because of grace. And I have read those and my heart at times has leaped and I have for a brief moment felt like a new person. But then I walked away from those truths, not really taking them with me for the foreign treasures that they were. And I slowly, and life, slowly life started to hammer my face back into someone that I thought I no longer was. It slowly robbed me of the hope I had felt briefly of who I could become. This is the real battle. This is the battle that happens after you believe. This is the battle on the other side of grace. It is the battle to continually take in that which is truth and dispel the untruths that would love to enslave you again. It is the battle to continually remind yourself that our old humanity was crucified with the Messiah, that we must calculate ourselves as being dead to sin and alive to God in the Messiah, that you are the first fruits of the Father's new creation. There is a you that you are only just now becoming, the first fruits of someone that you will be beyond your imagination. All of us must intentionally be reminding one another of that truth and prophetically speaking it into people no matter where they are in their journey. For the deceiver moves in whispers and judgments and quiet thoughts and simple gestures and statements. But the passage goes on. But the person who looks into the perfect law of freedom and goes on with it, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who does the deed, such a person is blessed in their doing. Perfect law of freedom. The term scares us in the wrong framework. You can't even say law in the wrong framework. James uses it again in chapter 2, verses 12, and to be honest, it's even scarier. He says, as people who are going to be judged by the perfect law of freedom. And everything in us that loves grace shuns at that. But this must be read on the other side of grace, in the context of becoming. This language is scary. James is scary in the, in the understanding of grace that I had initially inherited in my early Christianity, mixed with my own man-made understanding of God. And that was, I call that the framework of the moral wager system. To simply summarize that system, it's this. God has, God has a standard of moral obedience. You have failed it, and miserably, I might add. And now, by grace and grace alone, God's, God has met out that wager through the death of Christ. That's the framework that I put it in. However, our text presents grace in the framework of new creation. Let's go back to the beginning. Before we even got to our list of mention of works and law, let's get back to the very first line in verse 18, where it says this. Before he says anything else, he says, He became our Father by the word of truth. That was his firm decision, and the result is that we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And he begins the rest of the text after that with the word so, meaning therefore, in light of, meaning you have to go back to verse 18 before you start reading everything else. The framework is new creation. So the context for all warnings and moral commands and instruction is the framework of the fact that you are part of, a new, of the new creation. We do not act 
to earn merit. We do not act to show ourselves holy. We do not act to ensure entrance through the pearly gates. We do not act to avoid fire and brimstone. We do not act so that we're covered either, either way. We act because we are his new creatures, because we are to display the first fruits of a God who has won the victory for his intention for humanity and creation, and it's beginning, and he is now beginning to reign as its king. We are no longer under the law, meaning under the curse of the death that was intricately linked to it, which is what Romans 7 is all about, if you ever want to dwell on that. Rather now, we are, in a very real sense, under the weight of looking at our freedom and wondering what was it for. My soul runs from the language and it wants to hide under grace that I knew at the initial stage of my conversion and just hang on for dear life. But it's like a child hauling onto the leg of a father. He keeps moving <laughs> where he's going. He wants you to go somewhere. Grace is taking me on to become. This is maturity. This is what God intended. This is the purpose of mercy. This is the intention of grace. It is no good for us all to stand on the false either-or of law versus grace. It is no good for us to shy away from anything that seems to hint at any good work and moral command as a threat to grace. Scripture doesn't make it that oversimplified. There is a soul-satisfying grace that we must make the song of our entire life, but that grace is leading us, walking us, singing its own song of something even greater beyond it. It is leading us to become people who, as Paul said in Romans, to be people who fulfill the law, who bear fruit for God. The law was never the issue, you see. It was our nature rebelling under it. It was the corruption within us that had to be exposed. We had to become something different, and that is what God has begun in the gospel. So what's on the other side of grace? A renewed people. A people who have become something entirely different. That's what's on the other side of grace. But like I said, it isn't a magic wand change. There is no doubt that there is a judicial change, a fact, a new truth. He was raised because of our justification. The scripture is clear and unapologetic about that. However, it is there that we can reach a plateau in our walk. It is there we can get stuck on the same song. This is where we can be deceived by oversimplifying grace and unconsciously use grace as a shield against the very aim that grace came to us for to make us new people. But we must hear the call. We must realize that grace is bringing us to the other side, to become what the Father has always intended. And now to our final call, a call to act. If anyone supposes that they are devout and does not control their tongue, but rather deceives their heart, such a person's devotion is futile. As far as God the Father is concerned, pure, unsullied devotion works like this. You should visit orphans and widows in their sorrow and prevent the world leaving its dirty smudge on you. Here is the call to act. But it is not to be seen, it is not to be seen doing great moral things for our own praise. No, this is the call to go to war. 
to use your tongue to speak life. New creatures blessing, speaking, powerfully demolishing the work of the enemy. Maybe I'm using too much epic language for you right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's sending everyone into the ethereal. So let me on this last point end this sermon with a real-life example instead. I have a spiritual father that lives in Spokane, Washington. His name is Jim Anderson. And um, I met him in a discipleship school when I was 25 years old. And um, we were in this school, and every year he would come to this school, and for a week he would, he would do his talk. And um, when I was up there at 25 years old, everyone who'd been the year before me told me, get ready, because the, the children mainly, uh, the SCX preacher's coming. <laughs> That's what we called him. He, he has um, a very unique message of, of addressing the idolatry of sexuality in our culture and dealing with the, with the deep-rooted sexual issues and, and, our, and our sexual nature. Um, anyway, so everyone, everyone warns me about this guy coming. And, uh, you know, he's there for a whole week, so it's not, it's not like a 30-minute message. It's, it's going to be... Uh, you can't escape, basically. Um, and there's, you know, there's 21 people in this class when he comes, um, and he just wrecked my world. He just completely wrecked my world. Um, 25, I mean, 15 years ago, and everyone in that class was wrecked because of what he did and what, what he pulled out of the hearts. Anyway, just to give you a little bit of context for the kind of content this guy gets into, he goes, he's been to Russia 35 times. He goes to Russia, and he prays over um, a culture that basically they don't talk about this issue. It's all hidden, even within the church. And, and to be honest, there's many places here where we don't talk about it. It is hidden, right? It's under the radar. It's something that you go talk to someone privately about. But he just pulls it out and exposes it. And you're talking about people that have embraced abortion as a way of life. And there's women in that audience. And at the end of it, if you can just imagine hundreds of people weeping and one guy thinking, what am I supposed to do now? And everyone's, all this has been exposed. All the, the lies of sexuality are there and everyone's dealing with it and the Spirit is working and he stays there for hours and hours just speaking life, speaking life and dispelling lies and speaking life, replacing. That's what he does for hours on end. And it is a powerful thing to be part of. It's something that you don't forget going through that. And I bring this up because of this. He was down here a couple of weeks ago. I haven't seen him in quite a while. Um, uh, to mention, also, he has eight kids. <laughs> Just to throw that out there. Um, and uh, I've traveled with him a couple of times, and there's something that I've noticed about him that I've tried to describe to people. Because, you know, you try to talk to people about a preacher, and they're like, that's, that's great, he's another preacher. Um, but, you know, the truth is, people can be good communicators, but at the end of the day, I could really sit here and give you a great message on love that I speak for hours, but I could be a very unloving person outside of here, you'd never know. You'd never know. My family would know, but you'd never know. This man, and this is what I'm trying to describe to people, he has so long been at the throne of grace, so long been on the other side of grace. He heard the call from beyond just his own sin and shortcomings and has, has gone past it. And that's hard to describe because I, may, I just honestly meet few people at this place in life. But he's gone so far beyond it that he's been hearing the love of him as a son and from the Father so much that he emanates fatherhood. In fact, every time he's around, I feel like I need to confess something. He just has that kind of fatherly look. I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> um, but it, it literally, it, it's, it's, it's just who he is. And it comes out in small things. And, and I'll give you just one example to where I'm going here. 
And I'm so grateful because my family got to be part of this. So he was here a couple of weekends ago. He went to a church at a men's retreat Friday. You know, churches just utilize people to death when they're here. Um, he speaks in the morning, speaks at night, speaks on Sunday, speaks to the parents, speaks to the youth. I finally get to take him home before he goes to the airport. Four in the morning, he's got to go. It's nine o'clock. I do what everyone does in Austin. You go to Kirby Lane and you get pancakes after that type of hard ministry. And I can look at the guy and he's exhausted. He's just exhausted. And I, I can't even imagine, on, on, the, on the outside of the physical exhaustion, I can't imagine the warfare that you deal with when you're building up that particular issue. I can't imagine how much you must beat yourself up and the devil beats you up about that issue. Nonetheless, he's sitting at the, at the cubby lane. He's just about to pass out. Um, and I'm sitting there and the waitress comes over and she gives us some water. And I, and I see it. I see it straight away. I, I already know what he's going to do. I already know what he's going to do. And I just sat there and watched because I wanted my kids to see it. He just starts saying to the waitress, you know, um, thank you for serving us. You're doing such an amazing job. You have a gift for service. You, you've just blessed us. And he's just, it's over the top almost. And I know he's doing it, but he, he just starts with the small stuff, the practical, you know. You just blessed everyone at the table. And then he just keeps going. And he keeps going. He grabs this young girl's hand. And she, she felt, I could see she felt kind of uncomfortable at first, but she, she just loosened up and you could see her face light up because he was just speaking truth. He was speaking about who she was and God, you're a princess and you're just amazing and God has got plans. He's just speaking over her. And I'm sitting there and this girl just starts to cry. And it, but it, what's amazing about it is I'm watching, I'm in, the, in the spiritual realm, I'm watching this man has so been a father that every place he goes, it's an opportunity He's become something. It's an opportunity to act, to speak. And he sees the lies of the devil. The devil. Who knows what she's heard in her life? Who knows what things have been said to her? Who knows what her father said? Who knows what life she comes from? Who knows what she feels about herself? Who knows what some kid at school said because she was overweight? Or Who knows any of that? But all I know is that man at that moment saw a person and he was speaking life. He was taking the truth, untruths, out and he was replacing them with truths. And at that moment, at that moment, I realized what the, on, these other, on the other side of grace is to become those type of people. There is a world that is in pain. There's a world that's full of destruction and tyranny. It's full of lies that people have been told from the day they were young. And God brings us, his new people, to the point of grace, changes us, works on us, and it's ugly. It takes a long time. It doesn't happen overnight. Don't go outside and start talking to waitresses tomorrow. It, it takes a long time. It's a long process. I can only pray, and I do pray. I pray and hope to be at the same place he's at at 60 in 20 years. I pray that. It's going to take some more work, but I pray that I get to that place. But, but there's a world of people, and God is bringing us to that place to become so that then he can send us out and say, bear fruit, bear fruit to dispel the lies. I've already cast down the enemy. I've already lifted his veil from the nations. Now you, you, my new creatures, my new humanity, my new people, go out and just do the work. Speak the words. He works through us. I want to say today that we're all at different places today in this message. We're all hearing different aspects of his call. Some of you are hearing the call to take in today to put off the ways you have thought of yourself and just receive the truth. Truly take it in. Let it start the process to heal you. Some of you are hearing the call today to become like I am. 
where you've grasped grace, you've had some healing, but have timidly retreated from the call to become that which you've been you've called to become. Some of you today are fathers in here to your own children. Maybe they've grown up, maybe they've gone. I want to say to you today that the call to emanate the Father is not restricted to your own children. You are called to be, in essence, a father for the nations. Some of you are mothers in here today. Maybe you've, maybe you've passed that time and you're getting older and your kids have grown up and they've, they've moved past that place. You are to emanate being a mother. You did not become a mother just to be a mother until it was over. You are a mother and father beyond because that's what God is doing. Because only a mother and only a father speaking the words of life into people can heal sons and daughters. Some of you are hearing the call today to act. You you are something the world needs, but you need that fire and bravery to step out into what you were made for. Someone needs the scars that you picked up along the journey. Someone needs to see, see that you can be healed from those things. In life, it's just time, does it? 19-year-olds can't go out and heal a nation of 30-year-olds that had a bad experience in life. It takes mothers and fathers. It takes some gray-haired people who have been through life and have been healed and have become and now need to be called to act. To become a new creation, that is what is on the other side of grace. We're going to take communion in a minute and uh, we have a moment, what we like to do here is have a moment of reflection. And what I would appeal to you to do is in this time of reflection is just be quiet and listen. The word's gone forth. I've shed my tears. It's out there. It is what it is. Now let it sink in your heart and I would ask you to listen in this time and listen to see if God is giving you that call. And when you come here, when you come to, to eat the bread and drink the wine, remember at that point, this is the continual reinforcing of truth. This is always the call to come and become. God calls you today, Christ calls you today to come to the altar, eat of me, drink of me, and become something you never thought you would ever become. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.